Welcome to The Runner on the Air. My name is Blake McKee, and today I'm going to be talking to Katrina Singleton on whether public schools should leave their students in the Pledge of Allegiance and whether or not they can mandate it. We hope you enjoy. It's becoming increasingly common for students to refuse to recite the Pledge of Allegiance in the classroom. Now, so this automatically brings up the idea should it be mandatory to recite the Pledge of Allegiance in public schools? And is it possible to come to a compromise? Maybe we can, maybe we can't. So before we dive into that, I wanted to give a little bit of background information on the Pledge of Allegiance, which I found on ushistory.org. And I quote, the Pledge of Allegiance was written in August 1892 by the socialist minister, Francis Bellamy. It was originally published in the Youth Companion on September 8th, 1892, so about a month later. Bellamy had hopes that the pledge would be used by citizens in any country. So basically like an outline. Think of the Lord's Prayer, but it's like an outline how to pray. But this is like a pledge. It's an outline how to salute your country. Back to the citation. Uh, in its original form, it read, I pledge allegiance to the flag and the republic for which it stands, one nation indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Sounds slightly different, huh? Sounds a little naked. So then in 1923, the words, the flag of the United States of America, were added. So several years later, they added that. Skipping ahead, in 1942, in response to the communist threat of the times, President Eisenhower encouraged Congress to add the words, under God, creating the 31-word pledge we say today. It's worth noting that two years later, In God We Trust became the national motto. And this was due to wartime tensions with the Russians in the Cold War. So you can argue those um, wartime propaganda. So our final form, we got to, uh, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, liberty and justice for all. And a, a fun little side note was, along with the pledge, the original salute began with a military salute. And then after reciting the words to the flag, the arm was extended towards the flag. So your hand like facing the flag. Shortly thereafter, the pledge was begun with the right hand over the heart. And after reciting to the flag, the arm was extended towards the flag, palm down. In World War II, the salute too much resembled the Nazi salute. So it was changed to keep the right hand over the heart throughout. So initially, when I heard that last excerpt about like the handout, palm palm down towards the flag, I I didn't really believe it. So I ended up like Googling it, and you can look up like a 1950s classroom, or actually no, before World War II. So well, like 1930s or 1940s, and like you'll see a, a room of American kids like Nazi. It looks like a Nazi salute towards the flag. It it's just, it's this mind boggling just to see it, right? So what do we get from this excerpt from ushistory.org? Well, the two main takeaways I found was that the pledge historically has been malleable. As we said, it's, um, it's been revised twice since it originally was written, and it dates after the Constitution was written and signed. So, uh, Katrina, what, are your, uh, what do you think of these two big takeaways? Yeah, I mean, it, it really does make me question it. I mean, I didn't even know that it had been altered so much and I didn't know about the Nazi thing either, how it symbol like resembled each other. But it also, it kind of also blows my mind that it was written by 
a socialist. That was a little mind boggling because then we like turned around and we're like, communism's bad, but here's something from a socialist, which is yeah, this the like, socialist minister. Yeah, that was yeah. that's a whole discussion for another day on what that yeah. actually means. That like really stuck in my brain. I was like, okay, that's cool. And it begs the question, is it really a problem if people don't want to say it? I mean, is it really that important? I mean, to me, I don't think it's really that important to force it in a classroom. Mm-hmm. But it also makes me question people's patriotism also. Because, you know, the, people always say, like, oh, if you don't say it, you're not a patriot. You don't love this country. And I'm just yes. like, is that really true? I mean, do I have to recite and regurgitate a pledge to prove that I love my country? <sighs> It just, and the whole, uh, people fought and died for your right to be able to say and do whatever you want kind of thing. And mm-hmm. they're like, well, you have to say this to respect them. And if you don't do this, you don't respect them. But it's like, I don't think they're, they correlate, if that makes any sense. Like, yeah, I shouldn't have. That makes sense. To, yeah, I shouldn't have to repeat something that was forced down my throat when I was like five, didn't know what it meant. So much has changed and all the environments have changed. And now I'm sitting here like, we're not a unified country. It's not unified. So why am I going to recite something that's saying we stand together, we're one nation when we are shattered right now? It just doesn't seem like the right environment to be like, we're united, we're the same when we're fighting each other. So yeah. it really question if this pledge is a symbol of unity when we can say it all day long but I mean half the country is burning itself to the ground because we can't come to like a unified front yeah you bring up some good points Katrina for sure you know there's people saying like kind of adding to what you say like some students might even say like they don't even know what the pledge even means like like you said you kind of mindlessly learn it when you're five and like when you say indivisible people think it's invisible you know like they don't really know what they're saying right right in which the opposing side or those who think that the pledge should be in public schools, they might make a series of uh, counterpoints. One would be that not only should the pledge be in schools, but there should be like a course or time specifically allocated towards teaching the students what it means. You know, basically you're saying, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. Saying I'm, I'm pledging to this flag, which is symbolic of my country. And I'm pledging that I'm pledging to this nation that represents unity and liberty and justice for all, right? They'll say like, you know, we want kids to know that. Furthermore, they'll argue once you allocate time for kids to learn about what it means, it'll help plant a seed of patriotism in our students. And to kind of get what you're getting at is like, how, well, how can we like say one nation, like united, indivisible, liberty and justice for all and you have like systemic racism or just you know it's a lot of corruption any facet of life so people say like how how can you really say that and like you know we're politically divided every election in which um another counterpoint they could possibly make would be that by keeping this national anthem in schools it could be as a reminder to our students that like although we have like a diversity in opinion on methodology and um on politics that we, at the end of the day, like Republicans and Democrats fought together during like these trying periods of our country's development, you know, during revolutionary war, world wars. You can fact check me on when the party platforms were built in correlation to the wars, but you get the idea. They might argue that, that like it, it could be like, we, we want to keep it because it might help serve as like a chance to unite our students. I'm not sure if that made sense. It, it does make sense. My question is though, we say we're indivisible, and we're one nation, and then, like, as soon as we establish ourselves as our own country, like, okay, we have this group, and then we have this group, and then we have this group. But we're we're all one nation, but we all 
think different, which is fine. But when you add that justice for all, especially during a time when there definitely was not justice for everybody, and there's definitely mm-hmm. still not for everybody now, you have people fighting to make sure gay couples can't adopt kids. There's tons of the black population in America. They're institutionalized in prisons for a crazy amount of time for like having like what a little bit of pot on them and they're serving like 25 years. But we also have people running like edible shops, like restaurants. So it's like there isn't this unity. This isn't there isn't justice for all. So it's kind of ironic to say like, oh, we need to learn this. This is what our country stands for. And then these kids, they go out into the real world outside of the school bubble. And they're like, wait a minute, you're telling me one thing, but I'm looking at the news and there's no unity. There is not one nation. There's not justice. This person was wrongly murdered by somebody that, by an institution that was supposed to protect them, but they turned around and killed them and they're going to get away with it. So it's going to, I feel like it kind of creates a crisis in the youth of our country because now they're like, I don't know who to believe. We're supposed to trust our teachers and our parents and they're telling us this one thing, but we go out into society and we see something completely different. So now they're stuck in this weird imbalance of like, what's true, what's not, Mm -hmm. you know? with that whatsoever i feel like it creates a giant problem in of itself of saying like this is who we are this is what we stand for but don't look at the man behind the curtain just pay uh, attention pay attention to oz in front of you but don't look behind the curtain you know what i mean yeah so you, you feel like in a sense that um the pledge doesn't a- accurately represent or does it doesn't actually i mean you said it pretty well but you don't feel like the pledge lives up to its hype in a sense it, exactly exactly okay. Yes, Katrina, you um you bring up some convicting points. And now I'd like at this time I'd like to transition it over to another um aspect of the pledge which concerns freedom of speech. Some would argue so in in regards to whether or not students should be mandated to pledge. Some are going to make the case that they, you shouldn't force the kids to say it because of freedom of speech. Because you'll say, well, the first amendment And as a matter of fact, in 1943, there was a Supreme Court case called West Virginia State Board of Education versus Barnett, in which they came to the conclusion, basically that claim that it is an issue of freedom of speech is true. So therefore, legally, a school cannot penalize a student for not pledging. You can't penalize them at all. It can It's declared as like a form of discriminatory measure. Yeah. So any thoughts on that? I mean, that makes sense to me. I haven't heard of this case which is kind of sad. I feel like that's something that people should all know about, but that's a different conversation for another time. But I mean, freedom of speech is so vague to a lot of people. They don't realize that freedom of speech also means freedom of not speaking at the same time. So I, in my own opinion, I wouldn't want to say something that either A, I don't agree with, or B, I don't understand. So we go back to that whole understanding concept and when you punish somebody for like not saying something, you're stepping on my rights to choose whether or not to speak on something or speak about something, if yeah. that makes any sense whatsoever. So when you're sitting in a classroom, I mean, for example, I had a high school teacher that like basically said, if you don't stand for like the pledge, screw you. You're not, you're not a real American. You're not a real citizen of this country. If you don't stand here and acknowledge how great your country is. And I was kind of sitting there. I was like, I don't think that's, 100% true. 
I can speak about how much I love this country without reciting an oath, if that okay. makes sense. But it's like, not everybody has to like become robotic in how they appreciate and show their patriotism, if that makes sense. So when you come to the freedom of speech and all that's tied into like the First Amendment, which is freedom of speech, assembly, and all of that, right? Fact check yeah. if I'm wrong. But freedom of speech correlates also with the right to peacefully protest. So speech yes. isn't all just speaking. It's also gestures. It's also taking a stand or sitting or anything like that as a protest. So telling me that I can't not sit or not speak when it comes to the pledge, you're now stepping on my right to force your beliefs onto me, which is not what this country was founded on in the first place. So sure, I feel definitely. like it's yeah. So I feel like it's counterintuitive of what this country stands for. If you're telling me I can't believe in what I want to and ex- express it in my own way, you're going backwards. We're going back to back to when we were all in Britain and ruling under a king and all that stuff. And yeah, we tried the Church to of England. Exactly. And we're trying to get away from that. But now we're sitting here centuries later and people are telling me, you can't do that. You can't do that. When I have the rights that men and women overseas fought for, me to have you're telling me I can't express those rights so I feel like it's kind of like hypocrisy at the same time because they're telling me men and women fought for your right to do this but don't do it like that if that makes sense yeah that makes sense that makes a lot of sense you said something earlier about how you know a student might not want to say the pledge or might not want to say a certain part of the pledge just because they don't feel like they're very compelled or convicted by the word so they're not comfortable saying them right well, I wanted to bring up an opposing argument, and then I want to transition over into the the other aspect of the First Amendment concerning freedom of religion. You touched into some very key details there. So first, I want to start with this opposing argument before we transition there. The opposing side, as far as the freedom of speech debate, will say, although you can't force your students to pledge, regardless, you should um, encourage your students because it's it's still legal for schools to have the Pledge of Allegiance and to lead students in the pledge. It's just merely you can't penalize them for not participating, right? So they'll argue that, like, kind of getting back into just the out of a sense of reverence and duty to those who have laid down their lives that you should encourage the pledge regardless. But you can't penalize them. They should be encouraged. Interesting. So is it, like, encourage, like, convince them to say it because it's part of the American way or like encourage them to help or like encourage them by making them and showing them what it means, like explaining the pledge to them. That's a good question. And that ultimately comes down to the educator themselves. You know, there'll be some teachers. I'll just be like, Hey, uh, just do it just because it's just the sake of routine. And and then you'll have some teachers, like I had a one particular high school teacher where he like, he took like a whole entire day, like on Veterans Day to like talk about these different wars and like kind of reflect on these different sacrifices. And uh, in which you would say like, okay, like you're going to like not pledge the flag. Like, okay, that's fine. You have the right to do that. But like, would you do that in front of a veteran? And like an 80 year old man has like war scars, lost a leg. And, like, wearing his uniform on Veterans Day, like, would you even be able to, like, look them in the eye and say, I'm not going to pledge the flag? Because, again, it, it comes down to just the overall, just kind of this, that a value system and a, a tradition and values. But, you know, if, if you have any, do you have any thoughts on that? So that makes me question if people really want the youth and those of the younger generations to truly have love for this country and have true patriotism. 
because when you bring up the whole concept of routine and tradition, mm-hmm. a lot of tradition is based on habit and not understanding. You're just doing, you're answering what, but you don't get the answers to why. So you sit there and you're like, well, why am I doing this? And people are just saying, because it's part of tradition, it's routine. It's just what you're supposed to do. So when you have that kind of mindset, what you're building is fake patriotism. And in my opinion, I wouldn't want someone to be a fake patriot in Mm -hmm. comparison to someone that's just like, here's my opinion. Here's why I don't do this. I understand what it's for, but saying that right now just isn't for me. I would take that over somebody that's like, I'm saying the pledge, but I don't know what it means. I'm just doing it because I've been doing it my entire life because fake patriotism is what I feel has caused the country to kind of erupt the way that it has. But in my opinion, those people that are saying, hey, this isn't right. This isn't what this country was developed for. This isn't what this country was made for. This isn't what we stand for. That seems like more of a patriot than someone that stands up every single time they're told to put their hand over their heart and recite a pledge that they've been forced to memorize since they were five. Yeah, that's a that's a fair counter. You know, like I, I believe what you're getting at is the whole idea that like the fake patriotism is even worse than not being a patriot at all. Exactly. You know, it's it's ingenuine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, that's I, that's fair. So at this time, I'd like to um, transition it into uh, another kind of hot topic um, issue, which is one that personally uh, gets my family riled up. And it's concerning the line, one nation under God. So as you mentioned, founding fathers came over to this country, like trying to escape religious persecution. Right. And although, yes, it is true, the United States is heavily influenced off of a Christian tradition and it has its roots in our history. As you know, the, the earliest forms of American literature are sermons, you know. So some people will make the argument that like, Hey, our founding fathers held true to these principles and it influenced them as they were writing the declaration. Therefore, they'll treat the Bible as if it has authority over the land. And they'll also say, therefore, one nation under God and the phrase in God we trust, like, can't be removed from our country because it would be like deleting history, right? So they're going to make that argument. And it's the difficult thing is when you look at the Constitution, well, well, first of all, the Constitution is the law of the land and not the Bible. Yes, me as a Christian, yes, like the teachings and like the commandments of Christ are like that, that holds true to me as a believer, but that doesn't hold true to the nation because at the end of the day, we're not a theocracy, we're a democratic republic. And the very first amendment, the very first right given to people in the Bill of Rights was freedom from religion along with freedom of expression, freedom of speech. So that's... So that's where you kind of start with, okay, like the Bible isn't the authority of the land. And taking taking us back to what I said in the beginning of the of this segment, how in 1954 was like the first year, it was the first time One Nation Under God was even inserted into the pledge. It wasn't until a couple of decades later that it that was inserted. And also, furthermore, the pledge was written like after the Civil War, which would have been after the the signing of the Declaration of Independence in our Constitution. So coming full circle, as we were saying with the First Amendment, we have freedom of religion, which is freedom of religion and freedom 
from religion. So you can choose to believe whatever you want or choose to not believe anything at all. You have that right according to the law of the land. Therefore, many people may ask, like, well, how did the national motto become In God We Trust, which is a direct endorsement of a faith, which is, by the way, for the state or the federal government to endorse any form of faith-based group is illegal. Yes. Like, regardless of what you believe in, regardless of what I believe in, regardless of what Katrina believes in, it's like, illegal for any form of endorsement. That's why, you know, like public schools, like, teachers aren't allowed to lead the class in prayer or necessarily talk to God outside of a historical context relating to like the like, Abrahamic religion. So then, which kind of begs the question, and I'm going to let Katrina speak in a second, on how did we get to a point where One Nation Under God was allowed to be in the motto? when it's technically illegal, in a sense, because it's a form of endorsement in our national anthem. And if it is going to be in our national anthem, can we make it mandatory? Do you have any thoughts on that, Katrina? I know you do, but... (laughs) Oh, boy, do I have some thoughts. Let's see. It's really interesting because, you know, you brought up how Under God wasn't implemented into the pledge until when we were dealing with communism, the Red Scare, all of that. So it makes me question, because when people are afraid and there's something that they aren't, there's uncertainty going on, they turn to their faith, they turn to security. Sure. So is this, is was this our government at the time trying to lower and like calm the people without thinking of the rights of the people? I would argue that there was multiple motives behind it. So for instance, like if you look in a a 1950s um, scenario, you know, I I would argue that probably the majority of Americans identified as Christian, whether or not they practice it or not, they would still would like say like, yeah, it's that's who we are. They check off a box in a survey. I, I believe Eisenhower was in one, in one sense, he was trying to make our nation feel united. Like, yes, we are a nation under God. Like, well, maybe it's more so like, you know, like we're a nation under God and we represent God because God has like blessed us with such economic growth and our development and becoming a world power, you know, our economic power. So therefore, like God's on our side. Okay. Um, and that's kind of all over the place. So that's kind of where you get that like rhetoric of one nation under God or in God we trust because saying like God's on our side. They're the godless commies. We don't want that to spread over here because there was a a fear of that. Like, what if communism comes over here and then our great nation with these Christian principles and foundations is just totally like swept out communism. So that that was a general uh, hysteria, if you will, I guess you could argue. All that being said, the First Amendment has the protection of religion or the, the freedom of religion. So therefore, to, you know, kind of begging the question that, We've already addressed that it's illegal to for to force a student or to penalize them for not participating in the pledge. And it kind of just ties into the idea that not only is it a breach on the freedom of speech, it's also a breach on freedom of religion. Therefore, you kind of begs that question, can we make our kids say this? Again, it all comes down to choice and the freedom to choose what to believe in and to believe what's true and what's not. And when you're forcing these young kids and they're, let's say, age range elementary school, they're their brains are so fresh. They trust everybody and everything like mm-hmm. first because they, they have no experience with anything else. They're learning things new way more than we are. It begs the question, like you're forcing them to say this thing and they're asking you why. And you go to the whole argument of, well, it's to show you love your country. 
is to show this. To me, it seems like you're taking, and instead of explaining the actual meaning behind it and hiding behind its tradition, its patriotism, and not sitting down with your kids and saying, this is where this comes from. This is what this means when you say it. You're taking away their right to choose, which I feel is very, like, damaging at such a young age because when once you take away someone's right to choose, it's all downhill from there. You take away people's rights to choose, you're taking away, essentially, the rest of their rights right after that. So when you take away their right to choose to say something as trivial as a pledge, they're going to rely on someone else making their choices for them because it's like, oh, well, I trusted them with this. Why can't I trust them with something else that's more, I guess, intense almost because they have this trust in, like, say, their parents. And their parents are like, you need to learn this. This is important. This is establishing who you are as an American, this, this, and this. So when you have them and you take away their right to choose on what to speak on and what not to speak on, it just, it makes you question, like, do you really want your kids to have the rights that they're given with given at birth when they're born in this country? Or do you want to instill your own beliefs to fit your own agenda so you as a human being live through them almost and you pass on this ideology of what I consider nationalism because you're forcing this ideology on someone that has no idea what you're talking about because they're in elementary school, have no idea of what patriotism even is. And it all just comes back to choice. And I feel like when you set that precedent of it's your life, you can choose what you want to do. But right now I'm going to choose all your decisions. Like I'm going to make all your decisions for you up until mm-hmm. this point, And then after that, you're on your own, live your life kind of thing. I feel like that's very damaging. And that's why a lot of stuff right now is a mess. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so you feel like the the contradiction in the principle can be damaging to the kids because there's you feel like they're saying okay you have a choice but you don't have a choice like there's there's a choice but there's also this like strong pressure but yeah so china taking this full circle um onto the question of should it be mandatory to recite the pledge of allegiance in public schools basically we've come to the conclusion that no you you can't make it mandatory just based off of what the constitution says. And just because that is the law of the land, but that doesn't mean you can't have the constitution in your schools. And, um, you know, there's, there's going to be a, a, I think the fear some people will have, or some parents or educators will have is like, well, if we give our kids the choice, they're going to make the wrong choice. You know, cause that's kind of that idea that older folks will say is that like, you know, I, I made mistakes, so you wouldn't have to make them again. And they might tie it into that. Like, I don't want you to make the wrong choice or that unpatriotic choice. But at the end of the day, having the flag salute there, there, there are going to be a handful of kids that aren't going to do it. There's going to be a handful of kids that may bow. And there's going to be, a, there's going to be a handful of kids that will do the salute, like whether you mandate it or not. There is a choice. You know, kids will make that choice for them. And regardless of what you believe in, that's what, Uh, Those are some protections that our constitution grants us. So to give a quick recap, we've come to the conclusion that no, public schools can't mandate the flag salute and they can't penalize students for not participating, but they're still allowed to lead students in the flag salute if they so choose to participate. Katrina and I hope that we kindled your curiosity on this topic Maybe you agree, maybe you disagree, and we hope that you'd go out and do your own research and come to your own conclusion. This was Blake McKee, signing off.